if you were here on Sunday, we read from Titus, and we read about the transforming work of the grace of God. Not just the redeeming work of the grace of God, but the transforming work. Thank God they're both there, huh? It's great to know that the grace of God has redeemed us and bought us back. It's also thrilling to know that it did not just buy us back from something, but it bought us back for something. That we weren't just saved from hell, but we were saved to an eternal kingdom. And eternal, as you know, does not begin at some point in time. Eternal, as you know, is by definition all time, right? So if you receive eternal life, does that start when you go to heaven or does that start whenever you receive it? It starts when you receive it, right? Eternal, eternity is now and the future. And so you've received that. You've received a grace that did not just pay for your sins, but it, it gave you a purpose. It transformed you. It, according to Titus, was able to teach you to deny ungodliness. Taught you how. Taught you how to live in a new way. And this is a... A wonderful thing we read uh, about how that Jesus gave himself up to purchase for himself a people for his own possessions, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. We talked about zeal, how powerful of a word that is, coming from the original root word to boil over with heat. So someone who is zealous for good works does not have to get up in the morning and say, I probably should do something good today. Somebody who is zealous for good works cannot be stopped from doing the works of Jesus Christ. Somebody who is zealous for good works is burning up to do them and is quite annoyed if they're obstructed from doing them. It's not, it's not, you, they're not the kind of people you have to phone seven times a day and say, please, for your own sake, get out of bed and do something. These are the kind of people who probably would rather that they had a body that didn't require sleep. This is what God has designed you to be. And, and if you say, I'm not at that place, but I want to be at that place, you know, he said he gave himself up so that you could be at that place, which means that you have the right to be zealous. You have the right to be pure. You have the right to be righteous, godly, sensible in this present age. You just have to rely on the grace of God to transform your life. You just have to believe it's possible. You have to believe it's expected. You have to believe it's God's plan, and then you have to let it happen in you. You have to answer a series of questions with the wonderful answer, Yes, Lord. This is life, isn't it? Life is going, I mean, a big chunk of life is going through it day by day and say, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And every day, He asks you a bigger thing that you say yes, Lord, to. And he opens a bigger door in your life that you have to say yes, Lord, to. And he takes more of you and transforms more of it, and you say yes, Lord. And it's the most beautiful transformation you've ever seen. And every time you say yes, it gets better. Every time you say yes, it gets harder for the flesh to say yes. But the Spirit just, just jumps every time because you know the end result is he gets better and better not that he's changed he's the same as he's always been but your knowledge of him grows your knowledge not just in in your mind but but through experience you experience what it's like to live through the power and the fullness of jesus christ and every time you say yes you discover that was the best answer i could have given and then he says okay i'm glad you said that because i've been meaning to ask you 
how about that job? And you go, oh, Lord, why'd you bring that up? And then he says, listen, I got something to bring up to you. Would, would, would you do this? And you, and you say, yes, Lord. Would you let me do this through you in your job? Oh, but God, all I have to do is, is answer the drive through take the orders. Please don't make me do something else. He says, oh, I'm not making you do anything. I, let you, I want you to let me do something through you. If you say, yes, Lord, your life has changed from grace to grace, from glory to glory. That is where we're headed. I don't ever want you to get discouraged or bogged down because you've compared yourself with someone else. It's the worst thing you could do is to compare yourself. The only person you need to compare yourself to is Jesus Christ. He is our comparison. He is our rule. He is our um, example. He is our forerunner. Thank God for that. Amen. We are going to go in our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, there is an addressing of an issue. One of those issues is that there is some talk going around that is putting doubt on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is also talk going around that is prevalent that's saying, are we really going to be resurrected or is this it? Is this it? Once this life is done, end of it. You know, once we're in the dirt, that's the end. Is that the truth? This is the, these are the questions that are being asked. And Paul tells it through the inspiration, breathing of the Holy Spirit, ties both together. And he says, look, your resurrection is directly tied to Jesus' resurrection. So before we address whether you're getting up from the dead or not, we need to make a solid case for the fact that Jesus got up. So he's going to put the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on trial in this chapter. How many of you believe it's going to stand the test? You think it'll pass? I've said this to you before, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as you know, was uh, from the very beginning attempted to cover up. The Gospels documented in a historical manner how the Romans were fully ready to admit that there had been something supernatural, but breathed a sigh of relief when the chief priests came and said, listen, what if we all agreed that this was just a robbery? That the disciples came, they stole a body, and your soldiers won't get killed because the soldiers are thinking, we let a guy go. You, you can't really go to the governor and say, yeah, but the dead guy knocked the stone away because those things don't fly in court. And Romans didn't give you the insanity defense. It was just like, no, you're crazy. That's too bad. You'll die a crazy death. This was how it went. So that's not going to fly in court. So when the, when the rulers of the synagogue and the chief priests go and they say, we can cover this up. The Roman soldiers, the guards of the, of the uh, tomb, jumped at it and said, this is a great idea. We all win. So there was an attempt to cover it up, but the something you couldn't cover up, the something that they didn't count on, were these crazy, crazy disciples who at that point weren't, weren't anything to worry about because they ran away and hid. You know, they were a bunch of cowards. They ran away, they hid. We're never going to hear from them again. But once Jesus appeared to them, something changed. They saw something that they could never get out of their minds. They saw something that they could never stop talking about. They saw their Lord get up from the grave. They saw him again and they felt him and touched him. They knew we weren't all just hallucinating. He's real. He made us breakfast. 
one time they're out fishing they come back this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ he's on the shore making them fish for breakfast not something ghosts do very often or at all so this is all of a sudden they're realizing hundreds you know I mean we've got a a large group of people because it wasn't just the apostles I mean it wasn't just the twelve sorry that saw him it was the twelve it was the women it was James the brother of Jesus who if you recall in John 7 didn't believe in Jesus his own brother didn't believe in him. Why? Because there was that familiarity that was knowing him after the flesh. But that's the same James that wrote the book of James in the end. That's the same James that died. You want to hear how James died? James must have saw something. We're going to read in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to him um, specifically. Not just in a mass group of people, but specifically approved, uh, appeared to James. James was not with his mother at the cross. Another man who was not her son had to take care of her. That was the Apostle John. James was not there, nowhere to be seen. I don't know what he thought. All we know is the last time we heard from him, he didn't believe in this stuff. But he saw something that changed his life. He saw something that made him convinced. You find him in the first chapter of Acts. He's one of the crazy ones who's in the upper room praying. You find him later. He's one of the ones who's actually become a leader leader in the church. You find out that he writes a book breathed by the Holy Spirit that became part of the holy canon of Scripture. And at the end of his life, James was well known for having very hard and callous knees because he prayed so often. As an old man, he had these ugly but very well, <laughs> very well formed and bashed knees. And they were callous, and you could kick him in the knee, and it wouldn't hurt because he doesn't feel anything there anymore. And he's so often on his knees. Uh, and this guy, he's crazy enough as an old man, decides that it's a good idea to stand on top of a roof and preach. Remember what Jesus said, the things I whisper to you in secret, you're going to shout on top of rooftops. I suppose he took it literally. Got up on a roof, began to preach to people. Somebody is so angry that this man is preaching because people are listening. Because this guy's getting through to them. He gets so mad that somebody goes up behind him, behind him on the roof and pushes him off the roof and thinks, we've killed him. He falls on the ground, rolls over onto his knees, this guy, because he likes being on his knees, and begins to pray for all those that are persecuting him right on the spot. Now, you see, I can, I can imagine praying for those that persecute me a week after the fact, once God has had time to work on my heart. But a man just pushed off a roof is praying for them 30 seconds after he fell off the roof. They can't handle the fact he's praying for them. So somebody takes a club, hits him over the head, and that's how he dies. But he was at the end of his life. He lived a good old life. He wasn't, he wasn't too sad to go be with Jesus. It wasn't like his life was cut short. He was an old man by this point. He had fulfilled his purpose. He had run his race. And he went out with a bang, a blaze of glory, a flash. No pun intended, I'm sorry. I only realized after I said it that that was quite punished. But this is, this is James. So Jesus appears to all these people, and the same thing happened to all these other disciples. Something changed in them when they saw Jesus. Now something even more changed in them. Now realize this, they saw the resurrection when Jesus was risen from the dead. But they experienced the power of the resurrection when the Holy Spirit came into them. See, those are two different yet very important things. They saw the resurrection, 
But they experienced the power of the resurrection as His very Spirit went inside of them. That was the resurrection power uh, filling them and anointing them for their task. And you know, if they had made all this up, Jesus, let's just say Jesus got up from the grave. Let's just say that because then we can start a scam religion. If you're going to start a scam religion, you're going you're gonna to make it fit you, right? You're going you're gonna to make it work for you. Anybody that, know, anybody that does a scam is going to make a scam that, that, that benefits them. We are going to invent a religion that, that makes Tim Hortons the holy sacraments. Donuts and coffee are what you need if you want to be holy. And isn't this not, And you don't have to do anything else. Just eat donuts and coffee and sit back on the couch. This is how you're saved. If we were going to make a scam religion, wouldn't you make it easy? Instead, these men are so convinced of what they hear that no matter how many times they're beaten, thrown into prison, threatened with death, you get guys like Peter that go, I can't help but talk about what I've seen. I can't help it. I mean, you can beat me as much many times as you want, but this isn't a fake thing. So their lives, their willingness, their joy, their crazy joy in the midst of a scummy prison after being thoroughly beaten, they're laughing and singing. They're insane. But they're proving the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because somebody who didn't see something, somebody who didn't experience something, wouldn't have gone to all those lengths. They would have given up a long time ago. You only keep going if what you saw and what you experienced was absolutely real and there was no way you could deny it. No matter how many times you were beaten, no matter how many times you were thrown in prison, no matter how many times that sword came to your neck, you could say, I don't know what you want from me. I saw what I saw. I know what I know. And I can't deny him now. (laughs) He's been with me all these years. How can I deny him? They were the proof of the resurrection. And as I've said to you before, you're the same proof that they were. I have great books in my library that talk about historical evidence and documents for the proof of Jesus Christ. But as I've said to you before, there is no document so convincing as a person who was dead and now lives. As a a dirty, rotten sinner who is now a clean, holy, righteous saint of the living God. There is no document that is as convincing as that. You're the greatest proof that Jesus got up from the dead. So Paul is about to lay out his case for the resurrection, for the death and the resurrection. Because there are those that say Jesus didn't really die. There were those that believed that um, that uh, the divine Jesus, that there was, a, there was a, some, some poor wretch who was the son of Joseph, Jesus, who was a carpenter. And when he got baptized, the divine Jesus came on him. And, oh, he became super Jesus. And then right before the death, he, like, escaped. Super Jesus went away, and this other guy's like, where am I? And all of a sudden, he's crucified. Oh, poor, poor guy, huh? This was what the, Gnost- the Gnostics preached, that, that there was this fellow... <laughs> There was Jesus, but he was a sinful, dirty Jesus, just like all of us. He was just a regular man. But then the divine Jesus came on him during the baptism when the Holy Spirit descended. He was divine for three years, and then right before the resurrection, he's like, or right before the, the crucifixion, he's like, now's a good time for me to leave. <laughs> goes back to heaven, and this poor sot goes and is crucified for him. 
Well, we, of course, know that's foolishness. It makes us laugh, but there are many people believing it at the time. So there's an important time to make a case for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is still the same today. Now, I don't think there's too many people that will doubt you when you say he died. There may be a lot of people that don't believe you when you say he died for your sin. There are a lot of people that don't, these days, that, that, that aren't convinced he even existed. But even if he did, did he really get up from the dead? There needs to be a case made for the existence of Jesus, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And as I said, you're the greatest proof. But let's read 1 Corinthians 15. He says, now I, and, and usually when he starts the uh, chapter with now, it means he's going on to a, a different point. It's related, but it's unique. Chapter 14 was referring, 12, 13, and 14 were referring to spiritual gifts, spiritual works, the working of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit in the church. Chapter 15 seems to take a departure. They're all related, but it's a bit of a departure from that. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. Listen to that. So what is the gospel? The gospel is, yes, the good news, the, the message of Jesus, the message that he died, that he rose again on your behalf. The gospel is that you are saved by his work. The gospel is that you are made righteous by that work. The gospel is that uh, it is by that work that we are made clean, made holy before God, that by faith we receive that. That is the gospel, the good news. And he says, it is that gospel in which you also stand. Which means you don't stand because you have more willpower than the next guy. You don't stand because you're a stronger person. You stand because you've really received the power of God. You've really received the gospel. You've really received the grace of God. That's how you're standing right now. Lest you think that I'm standing because I'm better than everybody else. You're standing because of what Jesus did for you. Because of that transforming resurrection power in you, you're standing now. We stand in the gospel of Christ. By which also you are saved. So listen to this. He says, it's the gospel which I preached to you, the gospel which you received, the gospel which you stand, and the gospel which you are saved. So the gospel is preached, received causes you to stand and saves you this is a powerful gospel yeah he says by which you are also saved if you hold fast the word which i preached to you unless you believed in vain so what's the question here he says here's how you know if you really got saved if you hold fast the word which i preached to you because if you didn't hold fast to it it proved that you believed in vain the ones that didn't hold fast he's saying you know why they didn't hold fast? Because here's the church is asking, well, how about them? They didn't hold fast. They're, they're off doing it. They're back to idols. He goes, well, they didn't really believe. They believed in vain. What does vain mean? Without power. Without power, without effect. Empty. Because you guys know that the gospel is anything but empty. It's anything but without power. So when someone gets truly born again, it is a powerful work in their life. You can't deny that they were saved. Now there are people, you may say, they're in a gray area for me. Well, that's not your business to decide whether they're born again. They need to see 
as the scriptures say, examine their hearts. God is the judge there. Not your business to decide who's going to heaven and who's not. But let me say this to you. He says, you were saved if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you. He doesn't say, you will be saved if you hold fast. He says, you are saved if you hold fast. Which means that's a proof that you're really saved. Because here's what he goes back to. Unless you believed, past tense, in vain. So if you believed, if you really believed with real faith, you're going to hold fast. Because it's the real deal. But if you believed in vain, which means you, you didn't really have any faith. You said, maybe you said some words. Maybe you went to the parties. Maybe you went to church. But there was no real belief there. There was no faith. You, when, you, when you got born again, did you truly believe what you said? I, I think everybody in this room, you don't have to, don't, don't go, did I, did I? No, everybody in this room has shown, shown enough fruit in your life that it's proof, yes, you did. And you all know that. You all can go back to that moment. Know that you were gloriously and wonderfully saved, right? But it was not without power. You did not believe in vain. Your belief wasn't empty. Let's go to the next verse. For I delivered to you as of first importance which, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Okay? So here he is. He's presenting the first witness on the trial. The first witness is according to the Scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures that prophesied that the Messiah would die. Because at this point, there's not, there's not a whole bunch of New Testament Scriptures he's talking about. He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures which Jesus fulfilled, walked out perfectly, fulfilled every prophecy that, that ever had been made about the Messiah, he fulfilled. And most of them were fulfilled in that last little bit of his life. Through the death and resurrection, even, even to the point of the soldiers doing things they didn't understand, stabbing him in the side, that fulfilled the prophecy. Water coming out, that fulfilled the prophecy. What he said fulfilled the prophecy. How he said it fulfilled the prophecy. Even his own accusers didn't know it, but they were fulfilling prophecy. So it says the scriptures line up that Jesus was who he said he was. That he died according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. As the scriptures said, he will not stay there. What did the scriptures say? You will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or, or sorry, Sheol. My, my apologies. You will not abandon my soul to the grave. He got up. This was the first, one of the first scriptures that was preached on the day of Pentecost. He said, listen, David said that. You will not abandon your soul to the grave. And he goes, you and I know David's bones are still there. So if he had been talking about himself, he was wrong. He was talking about somebody else. And then he, he, refer, I mean, he, he proves that David was talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So listen, he says, Here are, I call the witnesses to the trial. Scripture, Scripture. Then Cephas and the twelve. These saw him with their own eyes. These men saw him get up. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. 500 more witnesses to the trial. You need more help? 
we got, <laughs> we got Cephas. Cephas, stand up. And he did his part. He testified the first day he could. Day after Pentecost, the moment he gets the okay, he gets the green light, he preaches, and 3,000 people are born again. Listen, let me tell you about the resurrection, is what he's saying. I mean, you look at some of these first sermons preached in the book of Acts. Do you know what they're talking about? The resurrection. It is a powerful thing. Sometimes we don't grip the power of the resurrection. Sometimes we preach simply the life of Jesus and how he was so good and how he was so loving. Those are true. But let me tell you what Satan can't stand. When you bring up the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you bring up the resurrection, that's what shakes the walls of hell. Because now you've just said he wasn't just a good man. He was the son of God. He was the prophesied Messiah. And when he died, if he just died, miracles died with him. If he just died, you died and you would stay dead. But if he died and rose again, his work continues. It doesn't just continue from him sitting on the throne, but it continues through his people, which he's given his resurrection life to. And we shall live with him. Most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. It's important that he uses this term, asleep. Because asleep is not the term that the secular people used when people died. What'd they say? He's dead. But Paul, just like Jesus did before him, is now saying, some of these guys have fallen asleep. What's he hinting at? They're going to get up again. Asleep means you're going to wake. And he's saying, listen guys, they're not really dead. We're talking about resurrection in this chapter. So he's making a point to say, they're asleep. They'll get up. They're not dead. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. So, so listen, there were more apostles than just the twelve. Let's keep reading. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. I feel... <laughs> I feel like I was born right after the greatest day of history. As to one untimely born, he's kind of regretting. I didn't get to see him. I didn't get to walk with him. I didn't get to be one of his disciples, but he appeared to me. Listen, when Jesus appeared to Saul, who later became Paul on that road to Damascus, it was so real to him that he didn't think, I just saw a vision of Jesus. To him, it was on the same plane as everybody else, seeing the risen Savior, touching his hands, touching his feet. This was his experience with Jesus, that real. He's not saying, I saw him, I saw his picture in a piece of toast. No, he saw, he saw a man. But he did not see the man that had gone to the cross. He did not see the man that had preached those stuff. He saw the risen. He saw the ascended Christ. He saw him as he is now. And that light coming from Jesus Christ was enough to blind him. That, that light, he said, that, that light, that vision of who Jesus really was, this is how you know he didn't just see a dude. It's the minute he saw him, he said, Who are you, Lord? I know you're not homeboy. I know you're not buddy. I know you're not pal. 
you're Lord. I may not know your name, but I know who you are. Wow. This is so real to him that he counts himself as a witness of the resurrection. Didn't have to be convinced, did he? I saw him with my own eyes. He says, it's one untimely born. For I am least of the apostles. And not fit to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. This is an important verse because it's going to lead to what we talk about next. He says, I am least of all the apostles and I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Listen to this. I am not fit, which means I don't measure up, I don't qualify for apostleship. Now had we left it at that, he would not be an apostle, would he? He says, I don't, I'm not fit to be called one. I disqualified myself when I persecuted them. I became such a wretched individual that I don't deserve to be called an apostle. Now many of us have said the same thing. I am not fit to be who Jesus called me to be. I am not qualified to be who He called me to be. I don't measure up. But the next verse is important. Because he says, I'm not fit to be called an apostle of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. This who I was, not fit. Did not measure up, did not meet the qualifications of ministry. But by the grace, in other words, the empowering, transforming work of Jesus Christ, I am what I am. (laughs) I am now defined by who He is. I am now defined by a different standard. And now I measure up more than measure up to the qualifications and title of apostle. So now he's not apologizing. You read and you study what Paul says to the people that doubt that he's an apostle. That would say, oh, I don't know. I don't know if he's a real apostle. I don't know. He's not, he doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. He says, listen to me. I am everything that you... I mean, I'm everything that God made me to be. I was called to be an apostle. And I'll tell you why I fit. I'll tell you why I qualify Because by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain. What what an an interesting thing to say. Did not prove empty. New International Version says, did not prove without effect. New Living says, not without results. Not without power, not without effect, not without results, right? This is, this is what vain would be. You see, when the grace of God hit Paul, he said, I didn't measure up, it made me measure up. It, it, it totally took away everything that disqualified me. But it didn't stop there. It did not stop with my position. It began to transform my life. You see, this is the real grace of God. It does not just change your position. It changes your life. No longer are you just somebody that says, well, at least I'm paid for. Now you're somebody who says, I've been bought for a price for a purpose. Bought with a price for a purpose. I now have a point in life. I've been transformed. That the grace of God that was toward me was not without results in my life 
was not without effect, was not without transforming power in my life. It was not in vain. Hallelujah. Why? But I labored. So he ties these together, right? He says, but, quite the opposite of it being without effect, I labored even more than all of them. Why? Because I got abundant grace. I was filled with the grace of God, the power of God. It changed me so much that I worked harder than anybody. You see, grace is not taking away the works. It actually empowers you to do the works. And he says, I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Thank God. Not me. He says, listen, you don't think that I just got a free pass and said, thank you, Jesus. Now I'm going to sit on the couch. No, he says the grace of God toward me was not without results. It was not without power. It was not without effect. He says, instead, I worked harder than anybody. That's how much grace I received. And he says, but it wasn't me working. It wasn't me trying harder. The grace of God with me. With. With means that you both. means it's working together with. It means it's, it's, the, it's the power. You are the uh, guy that turns the key on the ignition. Right? Paul had to say, yes, Lord. But once he said, yes, Lord, the grace of God kicks in. It's like Philip. Say, yes, Lord, go talk to that guy. When you open your mouth, utterance comes out of his mouth. This is life in the Spirit. Your job is to go up and open your mouth and then God fills it with words. You say, God, fill it with words before I go up to that person, please. (laughs) Give me utterance. I'll memorize it, then say it again. It would be without power if it happened that way because you'd dilute it with your own intellect, with your own mind. You'd say it not the way you're supposed to say it. If you just go up and say... God wants me to talk to this person and I've got nothing to say. Oh, good. That means you won't water it down with your junk. Okay, good. Hi there. The Lord told me to come up to you and all of a sudden utterance comes out. This is real. So when the Lord tells you, son, daughter, I want you to preach for me. You want me to what? To preach for me. I want you to stand up in front of a large group of people and talk. Can you do that? No, I cannot do that. Because I don't speak well. I, uh, I, I'm afraid. I, um, I stutter. I get in front of people and I get real nervous and, I cl- and I, my mind goes blank. I tried this in English class. It didn't work. It's not going to work now. And, there were, and, and here's a big one. There are a lot better people to do it than me. We hear that a lot. Well, let let them do it. They do it all the time. You know, let, let let them go up and preach. We've got preachers in the church. And the Lord says, no, I want you to do this one. In fact, check with check with your pastor. They'll back me up on this. And you go, oh, good. And and uh, you say, but but they do a better job. Why, why don't you just let one of them do it? They they do it better than me. And the Lord says, listen. You, you weren't. You, you, don't, you don't qualify. You're right. You don't qualify for this. But by the grace of God, you are what you are. 
which means now you, now you do qualify. Which means now it doesn't matter who you were or what you brought to the table. The grace of God has changed you. You've got to embrace that change in your life. Because there are many people who've received the grace of God and were too afraid to let it affect their life. Do you know what I mean? They were too timid for it to really produce powerful results in them because they just were too self-conscious. They put themselves on the table and said, here's all the reasons why I don't fit. Here's all the reasons why I'm not the right person for the job. Let me give you the reasons. I can list them down. And Paul says, I have more reasons than all of you. You think you've got reasons not to do what God told you to do? I've got more reasons. How many Christians have you dragged to prison? How many families did you separate? How many of them did you murder? Oh, I didn't do any of that. I got, he goes, I'm chief. In another place he says, I, I hold the record. I'm the chief of sinners. He doesn't mean I'm a sinner now. But he says, I'm chief among them. I hold the record. As far as, as, far as dirty, rotten people, I'm the record holder. You can't beat me. And if, look what God did with me. I mean, he says, many people have tried. You can't beat me. <laughs> I have the record for being the worst guy. The terrorist that attacked the church. And yet, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am an apostle, a witness, a teacher, a preacher of the resurrection. This is so... I mean, he shows you the extreme. He goes, I'm the extreme. If I can be that, what can you be? And he says, when that grace hit me, it was not without effect. It was not in vain. So you're not supposed to believe in vain. You believe in vain. You don't really, you're not really having faith in the power of Jesus Christ. You're just saying some words. You're just going along with the flow. But you really believe. You really have faith. You really say, He is Lord. You really give your life to Him. And it's not in vain. And it's able to make you stand. And keep you standing. And keep you holding on to the word of life. When everything else tells you to let go, it, you're holding on still. Now you may make some stupid mistakes, but you're still holding on. And then that grace transforms us. It says it's not without, it did not prove vain. It did not prove to be without effect because the real grace of God is not without power. It is power. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I. But it wasn't me, it was the grace of God with me. It was the power of God to do what I couldn't do. It was Jesus Christ working despite, in fact, through my weaknesses, being strong. What does he say in another place? He says, he says that when I found out how weak I was, I was, I was disturbed. He said a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me. He was almost thrown off his course. And he says, Lord, why? And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. That's what grace is. The power of Jesus Christ perfected in the areas that you don't measure up. You let him work in the areas you're actually weak. He is strong. And a smart man will say, I'm weak in every area without him. Be strong in every area. I'm going to know I don't measure up in any area without you. But with you, in all aspects, I measure up. 
because by the grace of God I am what I am. He doesn't say, I try to be what I am. He says, I am. He's convinced of the transforming work of Jesus Christ in his life. Verse 11 says, Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. He goes on and he um, talks about that grace of God. He talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He talks about the fact that Jesus was resurrected and that you will be resurrected. This is the blessed hope, right? Because this resurrection power in us, he says, listen, here's the proof. Not only were there eyewitnesses, not only was there a scriptural witness, but there is a life witness right here. We were eyewitnesses, but you are a witness of the power of God in me. And guess what? You are a witness of the power of God in your own life, which came through me. Don't you see that that the power of God, the, the resurrection power of God was proven through the Scriptures. It was proven through the prophets. It was proven through the apostles. It was proven through the women. It was proven through the disciples. It was proven through James. It was proven through Paul. But then it was proven not just by their word of mouth, but by the fact that their preaching had power and was not in vain. This is real. This is how you know that Jesus was risen from the dead. That we've got an army of people that are nothing like they used to be. If you say, I look a lot like I used to be, wake up. Wake up. For the time of sleep is gone. The day is almost here. Put on the armor of light. Put on Christ. Get over yourself and wake up. Because the time has gone. The time has passed to live like the world. Now be the church. Be the resurrected people of God. Wake up. Because you've been born again. You've been born again not in vain. It was, for, it was not for nothing that you got saved. It was for something. It was not without effect. It was not without results. It was not without power. Trust in the power of God in your life. Quit, quit disqualifying yourself. Quit telling yourself, I don't measure up. Because a person like that lives in a cycle of self-condemnation and never does a thing for God. They just say, I don't measure up. I'll never measure up. Why should I try to measure up? But someone who says, I do because His grace was not without effect in my life. So I, I can start doing and saying yes to God. Because so many times we're like Moses and go, Here, God, I hear you. But here's why you're wrong. Now, I know you got a good point. Somebody does need to go to those Israelites. Here's why it shouldn't be me. And God says, listen, you want to know who, who, to, who to say I sent you? I am that I am. Every question you ask, is he our rescuer? I am. Is he our healer? Is He our deliverer? I am. He's everything. I am that I am. I am sent you. And any question you put before that, His answer is, I am. So if I am, who do you think you are not measuring up? Who do you think you are that is so special that I can't use you? Because it's like reverse arrogance. still arrogance. 
We say, I am the only person in the world that could not be forgiven. I am so special. Echo, I'm so special, I'm the only person in the world God couldn't use. He could use Paul. Yeah, Paul was, Paul was a mess. But he can't use me, and I'll tell you why. I am this special, and I'll give you a list of reasons why I'm the one person in the universe that he can't use. Here's why I don't measure up. Get over it. Get over yourself. Wake up. And let Jesus be Jesus. And you be Jesus too. This is the power of the resurrection. Let's look in the book of Romans. Do you think that he made a good case for the resurrection in those 11 verses? I, I do think he did. You, you guys do too. You're just flipping, I see. We all think he made a pretty good case for the resurrection, right? we were to turn to Romans 6. Let's talk a little bit more. And we're almost to the finish line here. But let's talk a little bit more about the resurrection power of God in your life. Call in the book of Acts chapter 4 where it says, And the apostles were testifying about the resurrection. And great grace was upon them all. There was the power of God, there was the empowering of God to preach the resurrection. But it says, here's how you knew great grace was on them all. Not only were they preaching the power of the resurrection, but it says, for they had no lack. For they were all getting along. For they're all sharing anything. You see, it worked in so many other areas of their life. Here's how you know great grace was on them. They had no lack. They shared everything. They loved each other. There was proof of the grace of God in their life. There will be proof of the grace of God in your life. Romans 6 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. That's a bold statement. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you know, not, not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized, which means completely immersed and dunked, into his death. So what does that mean? That means no part of you did, not, did escape that death. No part of you got out of it. You, the complete you, you all went completely under in the death of Christ. That's what baptism shows you. That's why we don't sprinkle people with water. Because the word baptismo in Greek means to dunk, to immerse, to completely cover. So when we, I mean, were you sprinkled, it kind of it is to say, well, all right. I, I mean, maybe it signifies an anointing. But I love the image, the New Testament imagery of the baptism where somebody goes completely under and says, I was completely immersed into his death. No part of me got out of it. I didn't keep my hand above the water and say, I can still sin with this hand. I went all the way under. I went completely into his death. I was completely put on the cross with him. Thank God. Which means every debt, every, every, every sinful deed, every thought, it all got put on the cross and you were crucified with Him. So He says, so then it doesn't make any sense for you to go back and sin, does it? He says, because how can you who died to sin still live in it? He says um, in, chapter, in verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And I love that phrase, 
newness of life, which means every part of life is so new to us now. It's fresh. It's, li- it's alive. It's like it doesn't get stale. It doesn't get old. It doesn't get boring. It, it's new. If you think that your life is becoming boring, check it. See where you're standing. Are, are you really living in the power of the resurrection? Are, are you drawing near to the Father because He's promised you? Here's what He's promised you. Not a boring, stale life, but a new life every day you wake up. That you wake up and it feels new, it feels fresh because it is not a well of stagnant water. It is a spring of life flowing up from you. So it's always new, it's always fresh. And when you pick up the Bible, it's always exciting. It's just as exciting as the first time you picked it up. Then that every time you hit your knees, it's just as exciting as the first time someone told you God actually hears you. Every time you preach the gospel to somebody, you're like that new believer who just found out that this is the coolest thing in the world. And you got to tell everybody. You ever met somebody? You've all met somebody. You may have most likely have been that person when you first got born again. You're like, I can't believe not everybody knows this. You, I got to tell you this. Oh, I just want to give you your burger and fries. No, you got to listen to me. This is the coolest thing. I can't believe nobody told me till like last week, but you got to know. Well, this is the way life can be every day for you. New, fresh. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The first time I read this, I thought he meant someday we'll get up from the grave and be like him in the resurrection. But I'll show you in the next few verses that he's not talking about some distant thing. When he says we shall also be, he means right now. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Not as, not as going to be, but was. In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Thank God. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. So once again, the first time I read this, I thought he meant someday we're going to heaven and we'll live with him. But watch the next few verses. He says, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. He's saying death no longer is master over you. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. You see, there is a difference between living for God and living to God. When you live to God, you're also living for him. But there are many people who approach life and they just try to live for God. And they do what they think would make God happy. And that's wonderful. When you live your life to Him, it's like your life is a song to Him. It's like your life is, some, is a gift to Him. It's like your life is a sacrifice to Him. You're living it to Him. Which means the only person you're trying to ever impress is Him. The only one you care is looking at Him. You don't care if no one else sees you pick up that trash. You don't care if no one knows you shoveled that driveway. You don't care if no one knows that you prayed those many hours. You don't care if no one knows you fasted. You don't care if no one knows what you've done for the Lord because you're living it to Him. And everything you do is a gift to Him. Everything you do is a song you wrote for Him. Here's what he says in verse 11. Even so, here's, here's how we know that this resurrection that he's talking about, being like him in resurrection, is not a future thing. Here's how we know. Because he says, even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but what? Alive 
which means the resurrection is in you now, which means you are now resurrected. Not going, I mean, you will someday be resurrected. Your body will be resurrected. But guess what? Your spirit has already experienced that. And you are a spirit. You are not a body that has a spirit. You are a spirit that has a body. So I'm not going to say someday I'll be resurrected because someday your body will be resurrected. But you've already been resurrected. He says, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus, I am alive, not just because of Him, not just for Him, but I am alive to Him. And it says, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Why would you do that? You're not a slave anymore. Quit showing up for slave duty. He says, and don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. In the literal Greek, it says weapons of unrighteousness. Why would you use your body as a weapon for the other guy when you've been bought by the good guys? When you've been set free and you're a slave to Christ, you're a slave to righteousness. Here's what he says. But present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. I love that. As those alive from the dead. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that's how the world knew Christians? Not after their false judgments or thoughts, but if they began to know these people as those alive from the dead. These are those alive from the dead. The power of the resurrection is in you, is working in you, is empowering you. The grace of God is he says, for sin shall not be a master over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? He says once again, may it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness? He says, why are you obeying the other guy? You've been set free. Don't be his slave again. Don't act like a slave. But thanks be to God, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Praise the Lord. There's some great teaching in the next few verses and I would encourage you to read them for the sake of time we're going to wrap it up with this thought that as we read in 1 Corinthians 15 there are many proofs of the resurrection the scripture proves that Jesus died that he was going to die and he fulfilled that the scripture proves that he was going to be risen and he fulfilled that the apostles witnessed it and they preached it with their mouths and with their lives. But you've been given the same power and experience of resurrection as they have. You have experienced the resurrection power of God. And what the resurrection power of God means to you is that who you were is dead. Who you are is now alive to Him. And every disqualification that you used to be able to use doesn't cut it. Because you may say, 
I am least qualified to fill this position. And he says, by my empowerment, by my power, by my grace, you are who you are. This is a powerful statement. If you would say, if you get up in the morning and stop saying no to Jesus because you've got all the list of reasons why, and you say yes to him because you go, if he said it, the grace is there to do it. I am who I am by the empowerment of Jesus Christ, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by the life of Jesus Christ, by His grace, I am what I am. And I'm an apostle, or I'm a prophet, or I'm a servant, or I'm a believer, or I'm a preacher. I am what I am. And what I am is defined by what I am said you are. I am what I am said I am. That makes sense. (laughs) Because He is what you need to be. I'll say that again. He is what you need to be. So if you'll let Him be that, He says, you can say like Paul, I work harder than anybody. But guess what? It's not me, it's Him. You see, somebody who's really understood and really received the grace of God does not sit on the couch for the rest of their life. Doesn't sit on the bench for the rest of their life. Someone who's really received the power of God, it's, it won't be without power. It won't be in vain. It won't be without effect. Somebody, if you really receive and really understand the grace of God in your life, it won't be without effect. It'll be like Paul. I work harder than anybody else. But not me, but the grace of God working with me. Would you stand up? Now I have told you got, uh, we've preached about this, we've encouraged, we've exhorted, we've reproved with many scriptures saying, don't discount yourself, don't disqualify yourself, don't give God excuses as to why you don't measure up. But it is something that needs to be reminded over and over until you see a body that rises up and is not convinced by anything the world would say. Not even convinced, may I say this shockingly, what your spouse may say about you. Now I pray. See, my spouse has done nothing but encourage me. But we're young. (laughs) I know she'll always do that. If you are married, begin to let... Here's what the scripture says. Let your speech be seasoned with grace as though with salt. Another scripture says when we preach... We are to preach in such a way that it ministers grace to the hearer, which means you talk to them like who they are, like who Jesus sees them to be, like who they are now than what you're seeing with your eyes. You talk to them as you see them in the spirit, not as you see them in the flesh. Because the scripture says we now know, we no longer know any man after the flesh. We don't know Jesus after the flesh. We don't know each other after the flesh. So though they may look to you fully unqualified to do with that dream, they woke up in the morning and said, I believe God wants me to do this. And it is such a temptation as that person who knows them and knows their weaknesses better than anything, you want to save them from the embarrassment. And you, want to, you want to save them from the trouble that you know is going to happen if they stand up and say, that's who I am. But you have to discipline yourself to see them as God has seen them, to see them with the eyes of faith, to see them after the Spirit, not judge them after the flesh, and say, by the grace of God, you are exactly what you just said you are. So no matter what people say about you, no matter what you say about yourself, which is often the worst critic, you're your own worst critic most of the time. I am what I am. 
because of the grace of God. You say, who am I? How did Paul come to the conclusion he was who he was? Jesus told him. Jesus said, this is who you are. Read in Acts 26 what Jesus told him. This is who you are. This is who you will be. And he goes, I am who I am. So every time you had some hotshot come along and say, Paul's not a real apostle, he said, yes, I am. He writes whole chapters of the letters in the Bible are him saying, I am too an apostle. And I'll tell you why I know that. Because Jesus told me I am. And I don't care what you have. He says, not only this, but I have letters to prove I'm an apostle. I got references. Do you know what the references are? You can't find them on paper. They're lives that have been changed. You see, we're proof of Jesus' ministry. And those that are affected by us are proof of our own. They're proof that we are who we are. I know I'm a pastor not just because God told me that, although that would be enough, but I also know because I got people walking around that are different than they used to be, and they say it's because of the grace working through you to do it. Not because Jonathan is a good speaker, not because Jonathan knows what I, what's best for me, but because God has shown His grace through me, and He wants to do the same with you. Stop saying I am not qualified and leaving it at that. Paul said, I am the least qualified. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he became the lead apostle of them all. The least became the most. And Paul himself said, I believe that's because God wanted to show who he was through me. Paul came straight out and said it. He goes, I think I got picked because I was the least qualified. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Father, we glorify you. We are who we are because of who you are. We are witnesses of the resurrection. Not just by what we've seen, but by what we've truly experienced. We have experienced your life in us. We've experienced the resurrection power of Jesus Christ working through us. And we refuse to go back to a life that denies your resurrection. We refuse to go back to living a life that denies the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We will live a life that testifies of your resurrection power every day that testifies to who you are. Oh, we will. We let you work in us. God, work in us. Work through us. May your power become so relevant and evident in our life that there will not be any, any concentration or thinking of our weaknesses, but only on the power of God which is being perfected in us. Show your glory through your people, that we may be the church, those alive from the dead. The church of those alive from the dead. The church of the resurrected. The church of the resurrection. The people who got up from the grave because you got up from the grave. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we were praying, that, that phrase came out, and I think it is powerful. You can live a life that proves the resurrection, or you can live a life that denies it. Live in such a way that people know that Jesus got up from the grave. And live that way through the grace of God. How you live may be denied. How some, some may live may deny the very resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
may dare people, to, dare people to actually believe it's true because they say, I see no evidence of truth in this. I see no evidence of resurrection in your life. Live a life that affirms, preaches, and says, he got up. He got up, and I'll tell you how you know, I got up. Amen? Amen. God bless you.